there are things that are important across the board in parenting. There are some things that are always critical in parenting. But there are some things that are more important when they are younger, and there are other things that become more important when they are older. And you and I need to be sensitive to that. Now, I would say this, the better we do it when they are younger, the easier it will be as they get older. But as they get older, some things become more critical in parenting. I want you to take your Bible as we begin and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. And that's where we will begin tonight. won't spend our whole time there. In Proverbs 20 and verse 7, we read this, and we'll read this before we pray. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we have a great burden for children, for our own, and certainly for the children of this church family. And we pray that you would help us as we study your word to understand the important things that are taught in the Bible about children, how to care for them, how to rear them, how to train them, how to see by your grace our children grow up to love you and serve you and reject the ways of this world in its wickedness and iniquity. So, Father, help us tonight as we give special attention to the thought of children getting older and the things that perhaps are just a little more important as they begin to move up toward the teen years and then through those years. And we'll thank you for it. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 again says this, The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. You know what becomes especially important as our children get older is reality in our life as parents. In other words, when your children are little, they might be one year old, two years old, three years old, whatever. You know, they don't know whether there's any reality in your Christian life or not. You might gather them up on a Sunday and you might get them off to church and they're in Sunday school and they're in church and you might even have some devotional times. But when they're little like that, they don't know the reality of your Christian life. They don't know if there is a genuineness about your walk with Christ. They simply know the, the rules and the regulations and home life and, and whatever. But in time, our children will know whether or not the Christianity we profess to live is real. And this text says this, the just man. Now, the just man in the Old Testament would be comparable to the man in the New Testament who's gotten saved. You need to be saved to be a right kind of parent. And the Old Testament thought is this, that the just man, the man who is justified, he has come to know God, the just man walks in his integrity. And then in his integrity, in his life, his children then come into the blessings. They are blessed after him, or they are blessed because of him, because of the life that he lives. What that means simply is, as our children get older, Dad and Mom, your personal testimony becomes very, very important. The reality of your walk with the Lord, uh, your faithfulness 
in church. Now, going to church doesn't make anybody spiritual. But you know something? This book teaches that we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The concept of the local church, of God's people gathering for the study of the Word of God and for singing His praises and for praying together, that's taught in this book. Uh, you might not be able to find uh, church membership per se taught in this book. You'd have trouble finding a chapter and verse that says, you know, people became members in a sense. But listen, there's no doubt that God established local churches and that people came together and they worshiped together and they did so because they wanted to, not because there was a law hanging over their head, but because they really wanted to learn more about God. Well, you know, our children need to see some reality in us. And you and I have to be careful that as they look at our lives, they see the reality of Christianity in our marriage. They see it in our personal testimony. They see it in our church attendance. They see it in our prayer life. They see it in us exercising self-discipline when there are difficult and challenging times. They see it in our habits. They see it in our goals. They watch us, they know what we're aiming for in life as parents, and as they see what we're aiming at, what we're trying to do in life, they can't miss Christ. That's what's supposed to happen. You see, whether we like it or not, the time comes when our children have to decide whether or not they are going to choose the same lifestyle, if you want to use that term, the same pattern of life that their parents have chosen. Now, I was always a parent who just, you know, like my kids to simply adopt my convictions. You know, hey, believe what I believe because I told you that's right, so believe it. And live the way I live because this is the right way to live, so live it. But the simple fact is every young person grows up and has to come to the point where they make a decision, they make a choice. Am I going to walk the same pathway that my parents have walked? And when that time comes, it is very possible, if not likely, but at least very possible, that they will look for our hypocrisy if they want to justify their sin, or they may find in our reality conviction that drives them to God and drives them to the Bible. But the simple truth is there are young people who have grown up going to the right kind of churches and perhaps even the right Christian schools and all that kind of stuff. They have grown up and they have walked away from the things of God. You know young people like that. You know families like that. We all do. And I'm not saying that that can necessarily be dumped totally on parents, but what I am saying is that when kids grow up and begin to consider those things, I want to tell you, they are looking to find hypocrisy somewhere. Because we've all heard people make that statement. Oh, there's hypocrites in the church, so I'm not going. Well, somebody once said, if a hypocrite can keep you from God, I'll tell you, he's really been successful. Don't ever let a hypocrite keep you from knowing the true and living God. Don't ever let a phony keep you from walking with the true and living God. But at the same time, as a dad, as a mom, I'll tell you this, I don't want to be my son's excuse for walking away from God. I don't want my son to look at me and say, hey, listen, you know, my dad is a phony, therefore I am not going to live the way he professes to live. I don't want to be his justification. I don't want to be my daughter's justification for choosing the wrong path. 
Rather, what we want is our children to look at us, and as they maybe look at that world and say, well, should I go that way? That then they look at parents' life and say, but you know, there's something real with my mom and dad. It's not phony with them. It's not fake with them. God really did something in their lives. When they talk about God saving them and changing their lives, there's reality there, and I can't deny it. I can't deny it. And I might wonder what that world has to offer, but I can't deny the reality of what my folks live every day in front of me. Their walk with Christ. And so again, as our children are very small, they may not know too much about what we really are as Christians. But you know, as they begin to get older, they become extremely observant. And they know what we are. Take your Bible and turn with me, will you, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12 gives us an exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy. And I want to make an application of it tonight. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. Paul says to Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now we're not exactly sure how old or young Timothy was when he read that. Some people suggest that Timothy may have been 40 years of age when Paul said to him, let no man despise thy youth. We're not sure how old he was. He may have been a very young man, much younger than, than uh, 40. But the point is this, that seemingly in Timothy's life, his own youth was in his way. And here was his attitude, evidently. His attitude was, well, you know, nobody's going to listen to me because I'm young. And Paul said, wait a minute, Timothy. Don't let anybody despise your youth. Don't let anybody else say, and don't you feel that because you're young that you don't have a message. And so here's what he said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't let somebody despise your youth, but here's what you want to do, Timothy. You be an example. You be an example to everybody and anybody, and you be an example in these areas. You be an example in word. You be an example in conversation. That is the way you live. You be an example in charity, or what we normally think of as love. You be a, uh, an example in spirit or attitude. You be an example in faith, and you be an example in purity. Now, if you're an example, Timothy, if somebody looks at you and says, you know something, what I cannot deny is the reality of Christianity in his life. I can't deny that. Then what Paul was saying is, you don't have to worry about being young. I got thinking about that verse one time, and I concluded this, and it may or, not be a totally, may or may not be a totally correct observation, but I concluded this, that many times all of us find something about us that we think will keep other people from listening to us. In other words, you hear somebody say this, well, who's going to listen to me? Because I'm not very smart. Well, who's going to listen to me? Because I'm young. Well, who's going to listen to me? Because I'm old. Well, who's going to listen to me? Because, you know, I'm a blue collar guy. Well, who's going to listen to me? Because, and all of us can somewhere along the line excuse ourselves. Well, well why is anybody going to listen to me? And then what's interesting is, that too often parents say, 
Well, you know, as kids get older, they, they don't want to listen to their parents anymore. It's like, well, this teacher said it, so it must be true. I heard it on TV, it must be true. I read it in a magazine, it must be true. And parents get this idea. Well, you know, those kids aren't going to listen to me because they, I'm just their parent. And they think everybody else is smarter than me. And I thought of that verse and I thought, listen, mom and dad, let no person, certainly not your own child, despise you because you're just a parent. But here's reality. Be an example. Be real in front of your children in these areas. Be an example in front of your children in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In other words, they may not view you as some intellectual who has all the answers, but let them see the reality of Christianity in your life so that they can't simply write you off because you're just their parent. No. Let them so see you that they can't deny the reality of what Jesus Christ did in your life the day he saved your soul and changed you for his glory. Now, I've talked about this concept of example in other messages, but I want you to know it becomes most critical as our children begin to get older. As they face problems and they have to make decisions, they're going to look to mom and dad and say, how do my folks handle pressure? How do my folks handle trouble? How do my folks handle criticism? How do my folks handle it? Is there Christianity at work in their life? Can they find the example in us? Because they need to find it. Reality in our life as a parent, becomes very important as the kids get older. Think with me of another important area as the kids get older. I would simply call it consistency and understanding. We were in Ephesians 4, and I just want to remind you of the exhortation, excuse me, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. I want to remind you of the exhortation there. Where it says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Provoke not your children to wrath. One of the ways parents provoke their children to wrath, one of the ways parents frustrate their children is inconsistency. And mom and dad, what you and I must do is live before our children a consistent life and maintain for them consistency in the standards of a home. Why? Because consistency provides security. Now what happens to parents is this. As the kids get older and become a little bit more pushy, a little bit more willful, a little bit more demanding, parents tend to lower the standards. Because they become afraid. Well, if I keep these standards, if I maintain these standards, maybe my child's going to get mad and run away and end up bitter and whatever. Listen, solid, biblical, consistent standards are critical for your child as he gets older. Because again, that's where his security is. His security is knowing, you know something, this is what my dad says is right, 
And my dad doesn't change on that. And these are the standards of where we can go and can't go and what we can do and can't do and how we dress or what we watch on TV or whatever we listen to. The line has been drawn and my parents don't back off of that. Now that consistency becomes very, very important for children and all the more important as they get older. Why? Because as our children get older, they go through a lot of changes. As they grow up, they change physically. They are changing intellectually. They are changing emotionally. And I want you to know something. A lot of kids struggle as they face the teen years. It's like, boy, I'm growing up. I don't know what I'm going to do in life. I don't know where I'm going to go to college. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to handle high school. What about someday getting married? Who am I going to marry? And where am I going to live? And, and all those kinds of things. There's a lot of turmoil in the life of a young person. They are trying to figure out what life is all about. Don't think they have all the answers. They don't. They are struggling. And as they struggle, they're going to become very uh, variable in their ways and their attitudes, and they're going to be testing the waters and so on. And it's in the midst of them going through that stage that mom and dad have to be there consistently holding the line. It's very important. As a parent, you know you'll be tested, right? You'll always be tested. It doesn't matter where you draw the line, by the way. I heard uh, a parent, in fact, I was counseling some folks, and the, and the dad was saying, well, should, you know, should we push the line back? Now, listen, I want to tell you something. You have a teenage son, and you say to him, look, I want you in by 9 o'clock. Well, you realize that's not going to be acceptable to him because he wants to be in by 9.30. But if you tell him to be in by 9.30... That's not going to be acceptable to him. He wants to be in by 10 o'clock. If you back off to 10 o'clock, what's he want? 10.30. Go to 10. In other words, it doesn't matter where you draw the line. You're always going to be tested. Now, draw the line with some common sense. Don't tell your 22-year-old, you know, okay, I want you in here by 8 o'clock every night. That's crazy. Draw a reasonable line. When you've drawn the line, hold to it. You will be tested. Always you'll be tested. So you have to learn how to say no firmly, but lovingly. Don't react. Respond. Understanding is important. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. This text was given to help us understand God. In our generation, we need to use it to help us understand parenting. In Psalm 103, verse 13, here's what it says. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Now here's what the message is. Here's what the message of the text is. The psalmist is saying, hey listen, you know how a father pities his children? Well, I want you to know something. He said, that's what God's like. You can learn about God. Because as you see a father pity his children, that's how God pities us. Because God remembers that we're just dust. Well, today, 
We have to say this to parents. We have to say, hey, parents, do you know how God pities us? Hey, mom and dad, that's how you have to pity your children. Now, what's the word pity mean? Because that's the key word. The term pity means to understand and to have compassion. A dad looks at his child and says, you know, I need to understand my child. I need to have compassion upon my child. Because the God of heaven understands me and the God of heaven has compassion upon me because he knows I'm just dust. He knows how weak I am. He knows how frail I am. And so our God is a very merciful God. Well, the message of the Bible is, hey, parents, will you remember what your kids are going through? Will you remember your kids are growing up and they're facing a lot of pressures? Will you exercise some understanding and compassion toward them? Accept your child for what he is. Every young person is different. Too often parents want to relive their early years through their son. I want you to play ball the way I played ball. He may not care one bit about playing ball. Understand him and accept him for what he is. So I got all A's. Probably didn't. I got all A's. He's going to get all C's. Accept him for what he is. That's critical. Children need to know, hey, son, you know, I love you for what you are. I don't care if you ever do what I did. I love you for what you are. I love you for what you're interested in. That's critical. Understand him. Understand her. Understand and have compassion on them when they go through the physical changes as they grow up. They don't understand what's happening to them. And there needs to be a loving, godly parent, not a public school, not a Sunday school. Loving, godly parents who sit down with children and say, let me help you understand what's happening in you. Children fear the future. Many times. I hear people go to a ninth grader. So what are you going to do when you grow up? What am I going to do when I grow up? I'm hoping to get through ninth grade. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, where are you going to go to college? I don't know. I'm hoping to pass algebra. And yet we go to these kids and we expect them, you know, to know their future and what are you going to do and where are you going to be? They don't know. Hey, you know something? They don't need to know. They don't need to know. Walk with them. Say, hey, all you got to do is do right today. You don't have to know now where you're going to college. You know, all you got to do is just live for God today. Do what your mom and dad tell you to do today. Walk with them. I can remember, of course, I was unsaved at the time, but I, I remember dreading growing up because I didn't know what I was going to do. And I knew people who worked in a factory. And honestly, I looked at life and I thought, if I got to go into a factory and put little things together for 40 years, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that. I can't face that. I used to be scared of the, what am I going to do when I grow up? What, you know? Kids don't know. And they need parents to say, hey, it's okay if you don't know. I understand, and I have compassion for you, and I will walk with you, and I will be there for you, and don't worry, we're going to make it. You'll be okay, because I'm going to be there. There are contemporary pressures. In other words, there are pressures that our kids go through today that you and I did not go through. Now, that is not an excuse for them to choose the way of the world, but parents need to understand that. The world is different today than when we grew up. When I was a senior in high school, unsaved, 
But that is when I remember that drugs were first being introduced in our society and there were some kids in our school who were trying drugs and we looked down on them and we said, boy, they are the scumballs of the earth. Can you believe that? And from that time on, there was a movement in this country and drugs became commonplace and common experience. And so we cannot say to our children, okay, you know, it's different for you, so it's okay if you fall. We can't say that, but we do need to understand. Understand what they face that you and I don't face or didn't face. When I was your age, you know something, they don't even think you ever were their age. So it means nothing. You know, boy, when we were kids, they don't care. It doesn't mean anything. They can't relate. Why can't you be like your brother? Because I don't even like my brother. Why should I want to be like him? Understand that child. Have compassion on that child. Walk with that child. What a great text. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. That's our God. Listen, that's good parenting. That's good parenting. That says, you know, I understand what you're going through, and I'm going to be there for you. We need to, to some degree, lower the expectations for our children. Some people don't appreciate me when I say this, but, but honestly, I want to tell you something. I really didn't care, Jeff may say, Dad, that's not true, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I really didn't care so much whether my kids got all A's. What I cared about was that they had a heart for God. That's what matters. All A's don't matter. Now, if a kid can get all A's, they ought to do their best. Young people ought to be taught, do your best. But young people doing their best don't always get all A's. But listen, young people, whether they are very smart or not so smart, can walk with God. And that's what parenting ought to produce. Kids who love God. Kids who want to walk with God. Kids who have biblical standards. Kids who want to serve the Lord. That's what parenting's all about. So sometimes we have to lower the expectations. And I know there are parents, maybe not here, I hope not here, but there are parents who, listen, if you don't get all A's, then, then you're not going out. Or, hey, if you get all A's, I'll give you $5 for every A. And here's one kid who can get all A's if he wants to, and you got another kid who couldn't get all A's no matter what he did, and yet we hold that stuff over their head. Listen, the smart kid, the not-so-smart kid, both can walk with God. That's what you go after. And they need to know that that's what is important to you as a parenting, especially as they get older. Turn with me to Proverbs 23 and verse 26. Proverbs 23 and 26 is the challenge of a father to his son. can certainly be the challenge of every parent to every child. It says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. What does the statement mean, give me thine heart? That statement means something like this. It means, son, 
listen, you can trust me to be there for you. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Put your trust in me. Put your confidence in me. Others may fail you. Others may let you down. I will not. Give me your heart. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to rest in me as your parent. Give me your heart. And when you give me your heart, then let your eyes observe my ways. When you put your trust and confidence in me, then I invite you to watch my life. Now, our children cannot really watch our life unless we are there for them, with them, in many, many experiences. Parents, as our children get older, we sometimes tend to back away from them. We say, oh man, you know, everybody's going their own direction. Everybody's got their plans. They're growing up now and he's there and she's there and he's out that night and she's out that night. Listen, do not surrender involvement in your child's life as your child gets older. Instead, do just the opposite. Be there. Go there. Be with them. Accompany them. School, be involved. Be involved. Talk to their teachers. At school events, go there. Be there. Extracurriculars, be there. When I had my opportunity to coach, I would observe the kids. And sometimes I would see kids on an athletic court or perhaps an athletic field and as they would participate in the game, many times you'd see them looking. Looking to the side, looking in the stands. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for their parents. They're looking for their parents. And I can think of young people who went through those experiences who never had a dad or a mom show up one single time for those games or those activities. And I want to tell you something, you've got to be there. You gotta be there. I remember when my girls took piano lessons and they'd have a recital. Do you know what first time piano recitals are like? I mean, you have to get dressed up in a suit. You know, you don't go in old dungarees. You gotta get dressed up in a suit and you go there and, and you wait while all these other kids do it. And finally, it's your little girl's time. You've invested about an hour and a half and she goes up to the piano, sits down and goes, plink, plank, 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 plank. That's it. That's it, I've wasted an hour and a half for that. But you didn't waste an hour and a half because you gotta be there. You gotta be there. And parents have to get hold of that. Don't you desert your kids as they grow up and begin to make their way to all these extracurricular activities and all these outside things. Listen, you have to be there. Go there. Walk with them. Encourage them. Stand by them. Be there in the time of victory. Be there in the time of defeat. And as you spend time with them, let their eyes observe the way you live. Know their friends. Know where your kids are. Know what they are doing. And I would challenge you as much as possible, let your home be the gathering place. 
let kids feel like, hey, that's the place we go. That's how you watch them best, by bring them to your home. And bringing them there, you can control the activities. You can control the atmosphere. You can know what everybody's doing. But I want to tell you something. You've got to be there. The time has to come when you have to begin to let go. It's not easy. But the time has to come when we stop the complete control and begin to let our children make choices. It can be hard. But you have to give them the opportunity. The time has to come when they drive the car all alone for the first time. Some of you have been through that. You think you're going to drive all by yourself? You're crazy. But Dad, I'm 35. <laughs> the time has to come. Time has to come when a college is chosen. Now, people do it different ways. I, I think the, the best way to do it is this. You, you know, as a parent, you select certain colleges that meet your standards. And then you give them the choice of those colleges. You say, look, I've decided there are four colleges that meet my standards. One, two, three, four. And you can go to any one of those four that you want to. So I'm not saying you're going to this college, but I am saying there are some limitations. And there is, there's a realm where you make choices, but there's a realm where I'm still involved. And you gradually give them the opportunity to make choices. Now, the wise parent is the parent who learns how to let go gradually, how to let them take on responsibility, how to let them make choices so that somehow by the time they reach that age, whatever it might be in your home, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever it is, where all of a sudden you as a parent are able to say, you know what, you walk with God and I view you as an adult and I am not now going to seek to control your life. I want to be your counselor and your friend and your advisor and we want to walk together for the rest of life. But it is a delicate experience to get there, to gradually let go and hopefully help them make the right choices. But every parent has to do that. The last thing that is critical, and we'll close with this, is that our children have to know, and we touched on this last week, our children have to know that our love as parents for them is an absolutely unconditional love. The story of the prodigal son is an interesting story it is a dad who never, ever lost his love and compassion for his child. His child chose the wrong way, went out into the world and made a mess of it. But you know, when that son just made a, a turn back, that dad went running to meet him, threw his arms around him and expressed to him his compassion and love for him. I want to tell you, young people growing up can be frustrating. You young people who are here tonight, we love you. Sometimes you can be frustrating. And you say, hey, Pastor, you know my dad? Yeah, sometimes we can be frustrating. Young people will be frustrating at times. They will make wrong choices at times. But we must never hold over their head our love. Please don't ever do that. Never make your child think, if you do this, I'll stop loving you. If you do that, I will love you less. If you do that, you're putting your, your experience here at home at risk. Because if you don't do it right, we may put you out someday. Never, never, never convey that kind of message to your child. You convey the message to your child of an undying love. A love that will never be affected by anything. Your heart might be broken, but your love will never stop. You'll love that child with an unconditional love all his or her life. And listen, not only say, well, I believe that. Convey it.
tell them, let them know that you'll love them just as God loves them. What can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer in the Bible, nothing. Nothing. Let that be your testimony toward your child. Nothing can ever separate them from your love. There's no doubt a lot more things we could talk about tonight. But as the children get older, it's different. It's different. There are some things that become very, very critical. What I see too often is that parents become afraid of their own teenagers. They're afraid to keep the standards strong. They think they'll lose their kids. No, you won't. They think, well, you know, if I'm with them, they won't like it. They don't want me to be with them. Listen, do it right. Your kids will love to have you with them. Be there for them so that when they're looking for support, you're there. You're in the stands. You're on the field. You're at the recital, whatever it is. You're walking through those experiences with them. Parenting is supposed to be a great experience. God designed it that way. Parents are the ones who mess it up. Make sure you don't.